0: The glory of God would manifest over the mercy seat and the, uh, and the uh, Ark of the Covenant. And he, uh, it was like all of Israel could stand in the presence of God. And that inner sanctum was called the Father's house. They went, he went into Father's house. And so we saw that Jesus had the ultimate day of atonement. He, uh, not only was he the high priest, but he was the sacrifice. And we saw in uh, Revelation 5, Easter Sunday morning, there was a picture where uh, Jesus came with the blood of the Lamb. And he came and he presented it. And it says, and he sat down. Why did he sit down? Because there didn't need to be any more sacrifice for sins. The price was paid. God is done with your sins. He's like, don't bring it up to me anymore. It's a done deal. You're forgiven forever. Is that good news? We can boldly approach the throne of grace. Let me give you the other side of the coin. Uh, your sins have been paid for, but sin is still stupid. That's the title of today's message. Sin is still stupid. And you understand the whole message just with that title, but I'm going to go on a little bit longer. And so the Bible is awesome because what it does is it pulls back this picture of reality because it's almost like in this world you can kind of get in this cloud and just think you understand things. And God's like, here's what's really going on behind the scenes. So I want us to, to get some pictures of what Jesus says and the Bible says about, about how serious sin is. So there's 27 uh, books in the New Testament. Anyone want to guess how many books of the New Testament, warn against sin, have a call to live holiness? 20, out of 27, how many want to guess? It's 27. Wow. Twenty-seven books of the new blood covenant warn against sin or have a call to live holy. And so again, it's going to pull back the veil. So how serious is sin? How, how big of a deal is sin? Let's look at now Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus. This is the red letters. Okay, so this is new covenant. Here we go. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Like, what, hold on, what's happening here, Jesus? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble... Cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Is this strong language? Yeah. Okay, if we could put up the picture of Aaron up there. Are we Are going to get the picture of Aaron? There we go. Here's Aaron. While Aaron Ralston was on a pioneering k- trip in the Blue John Canyon, a boulder dislodged, crushing his right forearm and pinning it against a canyon wall. Ralston had not told anyone of his hiking plans and knew no one would be searching for him. Assuming that he would die, he spent five days slowly sipping a small amount of remaining water while trying to extricate his arm. He eventually ran out of water and began to drink his own urine. I'll just pause there for that moment there. Okay. After five days of trying to lift and break the boulder, Ralston prepared to cut off his already dead arm by levering it against a chalk stone, which had snapped the radius and ulna bones. Using the dull blade of his multi-use tool, he cut the soft tissue around the break. He then used the tool's pliers to tear at the tougher tendons. After freeing himself, he had to rappel down a 65-foot sheer wall, then hike out of the canyon. While hiking out, he encountered a family on vacation who alerted the authorities. He was ultimately rescued by a helicopter search team. Let's close in prayer. No, 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 we got more than this. I know what some of you guys are thinking, like, where is this guy? Let's pray for his arm to grow back. Listen, I love the way you're thinking, but that's not the point of this story right now. Okay? And if your right hand caused you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. How many of you know it was better for him to cut off his arm than to stay there and die? Jesus is using a similar picture. It's actually better if your hand is causing you to stumble. It's better for you to cut it off than for you to stay there. It's better for you to, uh, if your right hand caused you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What's Jesus trying to say here? Why, why such strong language? Right? I mean, most of us believe that sin is important. It's a, it's a big deal. Do we really believe it's that important? right? Uh, this But this drastic approach, it wasn't like a one-time thing for Jesus. Let's read in Matthew 18, verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Is anyone noticing a, a pattern here? Jesus is using extremely strong language here. Well, Jim, Jesus is not telling us to hack off body parts or drown ourselves. This is actually an ancient rhetorical technique called hyperbole, which is a conscious exaggeration to make a shocking point of the here. Yeah, I already know that, okay? And so what's the the point that he's trying to make to us here? Sin is serious. It needs to be dealt with. He's not telling us to chop off body parts. He's, He's trying to get our attention. Let's make sure he gets our attention. We don't just go, oh, he didn't really mean that. Well, what did he mean? He means sin is serious. Sin is more serious than you and I might have guessed. And so, like I said, I think what we believe sin is, uh, is, is important to avoid it. Do we really believe it's that important? Okay? I believe the enemy has uh, deceived many believers in the church to thinking sin is not that big of a deal. We're under grace. You know, it's in God's job description. He has to forgive us. And, uh, but every book in the New Testament has warnings against sin and a call to live holy. And Jesus is using the, stra- the strongest language possible. So here's the dilemma. Either losing your hand isn't that bad, either gouging out your eyeballs ain't that bad, or sin is more serious than we thought, okay? It has to be one or the other. I don't know about you, but taking like a jagged saw and hacking off my hand, like that sounds really bad, like terribly bad. Stop me if I'm overestimating how bad it would be, how horrendously, nightmarishly, horrifically bad. Last time I got a paper cut, I wanted Mary to write a song about it. Like I, I'm like, that, I like, like chop off my hand, like are you kidding me, Right? It's so bad, it makes me begin to wonder, do I understand how serious sin is? Guys, if you like your eyeballs, you should be bothered by these verses. All right? There's a, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word uh, used for sin literally means to miss the mark. Okay? And so the Bible has a lot to say about what's on the mark and what's off the mark, what's off target. So how serious is missing the mark? Okay? So imagine you've got an archer. He's got a top bow. He's aiming it towards the target, and he misses the target. What's his reaction going to be? Is he be laughing? Is he going to feel shame? Uh, is he going to be scolded by his archery teacher? Uh, is he weeping uncontrollably? These are all possible moods after, after missing the mark. So imagine he's goofing around with his friends. He, uh, he misses the mark. No big deal. They're having a good laugh about it. And that's how a lot of people is with sin. It's like, hey, they're kind of one-upping each other with their stories of their college days and how they did those type of things. But what, imagine that this person's in a national tournament, and the title's on the line, and the team name is on the line, and now he misses the mark. What's the mood? Well, he's probably feeling about it he's let he's let he's let down his team right what if the target isn't just a piece of paper on a, on a hay bale it's a, it's an apple on top of someone's head and he misses the mark what's the mood then and what if that mark is someone that he loves and now he's weeping uncontrollably do you see that how the, the the stakes are higher I remember um so just so you know when I was in high school I wasn't as robust and muscular and athletic as I am right now <laughs> I was uh, 6'2", 145, my senior of high school, solid muscle, and so I had the body of a female supermodel, and so um, and so, uh, so, I remember I was over at Dave Fargo's, and I'd gotten into uh, hunting a little bit. I mostly went to be with my dad, not because I enjoyed the outside, and so uh, I enjoyed putting on the paint like Rambo and stuff, and so uh, we had this compound bow, and so if you know anything about a compound bow, it's, it's harder to pull at the beginning, but it's got this pulleys, and it kind of gets easier, and so... Um, Again, my my arms were you know pencils, and so the uh, and so we're we're sighting in my bow. They got these little little sights you can kind of you know make sure you get in on the target, twenty yards, thirty yards, and so after pulling for a while, my arms getting tired, and so we're shooting. They got this hail bit this bale of hay set up this target inside the garage. So we're you know thirty you know thirty yards, twenty yards, uh, back in the driveway shooting into it, and so I, I you know I'm pulling it now. My arms getting tired. And I remember on one of the pulls, I'm, I'm I go to pull it and the. Um, the, the, the um, arrow, instead of sitting on the arrow rest, it gets caught in the sights. So it's up there, and I'm pulling it, and my arm is dead tired. And I don't know what I was thinking. For some reason, I let the arrow go. And whew, it's going, and it's going right towards a gas can in the garage. And so um, literally everyone saw it, and it was like the movies, no, you know. And we're like, I I'm, mean, I'm, you know, we're picturing it blowing up, you know, like, you know. And so um, it hits the gas can and sparks but there wasn't any gas in the can. There wasn't enough to um, spark it. But I was thinking, I almost blew up my friend's garage. Okay? What if sin is missing the mark and can actually blow up your life? That was a pretty good illustration. I worked hard for that one. All right. What if Jesus' words about sin are right? We've been deceived to believe it's just not that big of a deal. Let's say you open up the fridge, and there's a jar of brown liquid in there, and there's a big sign that says, don't drink. Okay? Okay? What would it be like to miss the mark and to ignore that note? Okay, well, what if it turns out that it's some refreshing tea made by your roommate? They're going to be gone for two weeks anyway. They'll never find out. You'll have, more time, you'll have enough time to kind of make some more and refill it. Not that big a deal, right? Well, what if it turns out to be um, a, a, a jar full of gasoline that your dad drained from the broken chainsaw? For some reason, you decide to drink it from the fridge. Missing the mark is, and ignoring that warning is a whole lot different now than it is just with the sun tea, right? Hmm. Thank you. I'll take that encouragement on a sermon on sin on Sunday morning. What if sin was not God trying to keep you from something fun and refreshing, but a warning against something poisonous and harmful? Remember, what's happening here? The Bible's pulling back the veil and helping us see what exactly is sin? What's it do to us? John fourteen twenty three. Those of you who love me will keep my word. This is Jesus speaking. And my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Here's the deal, Jesus says all sin takes place in a home. When Jesus gave us a clear sense of what it's like to miss the mark, he doesn't say, Hey, imagine a, a school teacher who's walking down the aisle enforcing the no chewing gum rule. He says, Imagine a warm family. Imagine a home pl- filled with laughter and safety. This is the context for where all sin for the believer takes place. Jesus says, If I if I follow him, he smiles and calls me son. Listen to Mark 3, 34 and 35. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Okay? Guys, this is not just a a metaphor that you've been adopted into God's family. It's actually a spiritual reality. Over and over again, Jesus paints pictures of us being part of his family. And so do you want to know what it means to miss the mark? I want you to imagine a dad with his kids at home together. Uh, that's That's the context for understanding sin. Jesus said, imagine this. He tells a story in Luke 15. Imagine a smooth-skinned Jewish son telling his bearded father to hand over his inheritance. This is a time when literally a son was defined by who his father was. That's why it says that Jesus was the son of Joseph. He was the son of the carpenter. Kids had their identity in who their parents was. So Jesus tells a story. Imagine, Jesus whispers, the son that went up to his loving father and said, give me my share, I'm leaving right? I mean, the Jewish men in the crowd, they must have cringed. I mean, who can imagine having a son like this? It was unthinkable. Then his father handed it over, and then the son left. I mean, the, the listeners, they had to have just been nauseated. Uh, with clenched fists, they tried to imagine, what would they do with such a son? That's what missing the mark feels like. A son wishing his loving father were dead so he could go and have his idea of fun. Another time, Jesus told another crowd a story, Matthew 21. Uh, I didn't give you guys this verse. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. Imagine a father with two sons. The father asked them in the morning to go into the fields to work as usual. One, said, said, no, one son said, no way. But of course, he went out and worked the land that day. Again, the cringing of the audience. Like, how could a son treat their father like this? But the second son, ah, the crowd's ready to hear the son. That's the second son, the hero, the, the good son. The second son says, of course, my father, I will go work the land. The crowd smiles, but Jesus prepares them for the end of the story. Here's what he says, but he doesn't go. He never goes out to work the land of that day. You can imagine the gasps, uh, the shocked looks, the indignity, the dishonor, the shame. What an insult the, the, the Jewish men sputter as they shake their bearded heads in disgust. This is what it's like to miss the mark. It's an insult and rebellion against a loving, gentle parent. I remember one time I was uh, home from college, and um, I slept in a little bit, and I woke up to the smell of sizzling bacon. Now, there's not many things that are better than that. And as I came downstairs, I noticed my mom had made all my favorite things. So there's raspberry pancakes, cheese scrambled eggs, freshly squeezed orange juice. And as I sat at the table, she's there in her red and white uh, checkered apron, and in her uh, oven mittened hands, she comes, she's bringing over homemade cinnamon rolls, my very favorite. And as she leaned down, uh, she gave me a kiss on the cheek, and... I don't know what I was thinking. I, I wish I hadn't done this. For some reason, I, I went and I spit right in her face. So it hits her in the cheek and uh, she, her eyes well up with tears and she closes her eyes. She puts her hands over her face and she begins sob- gently sobbing and wiping the spit off of her face. Okay, that never happened. But that's what sin is like. Some of you won't forgive me for that one and that's a sin. Unforgiveness is a sin. So you can just stop it right there. Sin always takes place in a home. Sin is a revolt against a loving parent. It's not uh, this disappointed hall monitor at school. Rather, it's a hurt father and an insulted mother. God made this clear as he reasoned with a sinful Israel in the Old Testament. He said, you are my bride and I am your loving husband. When you sin, you are adulterous. You are playing the harlot. God has not glared at us in our sin. Rather, his face is the look of a betrayed husband in Hosea 1-2. Here's another picture of sin. Are you guys seeing this? the different angles on this? I, w- I want one of these pictures to stick with you. So when you're tempted to see it, you're going to go, hold on. It's going to come to mind. Here's another picture. Sin is spiritual suicide. Okay, Jesus, he said, I am life to you. Right? He's bread for the hungry. He's water for the thirsty. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the life. John 15, 4, Jesus said, remain in me, abide in me, and you will live. Hitting the mark means to be plugged into the only source of nourishment. Okay? He said you're like a branch inside of a vine. That's the only place to get nourished. Okay? And so to sin is to choke yourself. It's to cut yourself off from the only source of life. So Jesus asks us to imagine. He says imagine this renegade branch that wants to abandon the vine with its deep roots and its nourishment. He said this is what it's like. So you can imagine this stupid branch. It's feeling strong. It's feeling independent. And uh, it marches off in its own direction. And the other branches notice it too. And they're kind of inspired like, hey, maybe this is the way to go. Uh, The vine says, "Who says?" Or the branch says, "Who says we have to stay here with the vine?" The branches begin to wander along with them. How old-fashioned and limiting! One brave branch sneers loudly, and before you know it, a genuine revolt of the branches begins. What do you think of those branches? Think they're just being naughty? Think it's just kind of normal behavior where they're going to go and sow their wild oats? No, they're idiotic. They are destroying themselves. It doesn't matter how uh, what inspiring spin they put on it. Independence from the vine is killing them. The vine is the only source of life they can nourish themselves with. They will eventually shrivel up and die. There is no way around it. Jesus said that's what sin is like. To sin is to turn away from the only source of life. To reject your source of nourishment and go in your own direction. I don't know if you've ever seen like a fish out of water gasping for air. Its source of nourishment is inside the water. That's what sin is is coming out here and trying to get your needs met and all these things, and it's just absolutely killing you. Thank you. It will eventually end in spiritual suicide. Jesus asked his disciples this, what can a branch do apart from the vine? Nothing. You cannot spiritually nourish yourself apart from Jesus. To do our Father's will is to abide in the vine. To miss the mark, well, it's a slow death. Missing the mark is like an idiotic, brave march into starvation. That's what sin is like. Jesus said, I am the true bread come down from heaven. I want you to imagine a little girl with her family on a picnic. The sunshine. You can see the picnic blanket on the, on the grassy park there. Uh, beautiful, a beautiful spread watermelon, cheese and crackers, corn in the cob, hamburgers fresh off the grill. Freshly squeezed lemonade with chunks of ice. But where, where's the daughter? Well, she's sitting off, to the, uh, off, the, off the blanket in the dirt next to the blanket. And she's eating, but she's eating dirt-covered rocks. Her teeth begin to chip and crack in places. There's blood begin dripping out of her mouth. Her parents are desperately trying to stop her, but she's a determined little girl. And the longer she goes without real food, the more desperately she begins eating these rocks. She's grabbing fistfuls now. Her parents weep beside her. The sight of all this wonderful food prepared for her, and she's in a feeding frenzy on something that's hurting her. The blood from her mouth is dripping on her yellow sundress. Her parents plead with her through tears. Sweetheart, those aren't good for you. You're breaking your teeth. Look over at the blanket. Wouldn't you rather have some yummy watermelon? Their words are tender. That's your blanket, she barks back. I'm through being stifled by your blanket. Get out of my face. The parent's heart is broken. They won't force feed her cheese and watermelon. They weep because they know the daughter is slowly killing herself. To lie, to gossip, to lust, to show partiality, to think resentful thoughts towards someone is to ignore a picnic meal for a bloody mouthful of chipped teeth and rocks. Dramatic pause. (laughs) To sin is to grab hold of your neck with both hands and squeeze. When I'm considering sin, I'm considering whether or not to chew on spiritual rocks. I'm deciding to drink a forbidden but delicious drink. No, I'm not deciding to drink a forbidden but delicious drink. I'm deciding to down a glass of Clorox bleach. I'm taking poison. I'm not just naughty, I'm a fool. That's what sin is like according to Jesus. Another thing sin is, sin's forgetting who you are. Romans 6 verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Man, if there's all this grace and God's remembering our sins no more, maybe we should just keep sinning. God's going to keep paying our debts. Here's Paul's answer to that. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Listen, sin is unnatural. It's like a live man wanting to hang out in graveyards and snuggle with coffins. It's like a two-year-old trying to crawl back into his mother's womb. It's like a released hostage hanging out on weekends at the prison where he was tortured. It's like a patient who had successful knee surgery refusing to ever try to walk again. It's unnatural. It's inappropriate. Because we've been united with Christ. Guys, we have a whole new nature that wants to please God. It doesn't make sense to live in this sin any longer. You've been set free from it. We're new creations. We've been remade. Sin is like a third shoe. What are you going to do with it? doesn't make sense. <laughs> the Bible says, live like you're new. You're no longer a slave to sin. Take off those dirty, stinky grave clothes and put on white garments. Ephesians 4.22, put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupted and diluted, and be renewed. Put off those clothes. They don't fit anymore. When we sin, we're forgetting who we are. We've been made new. We're like healthy men and women spending our time in a grave that's meant for decaying corpses. Another thing sin does, sin changes our relationship with the devil. A little further in Romans 6.16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves slave to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Every time we knowingly say yes to sin, we're submitting ourselves to Satan, the author of that sin. We place ourselves under his influence. doesn't mean we lose our salvation. It just means you've opened a door for the enemy to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. Sin does not change the way God feels about you, but it will change the way you feel about God. It deceives you. It tricks you. It hardens your heart. and You begin to believe lies about him. Sin does not change my relationship with God, but it does change my relationship with the devil. It gives him a chance to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. When you sin, you actually open the door to the devil, and he actually can become a slave to sin. Even though you're free on the inside, you become a slave. When a man chooses to actively lust and to indulge in pornography, he's not just choosing to gratify his desires. He's choosing to have his hands bound so tightly that he can't make decisions anymore. When a woman makes the choice to flirt with someone else's husband, she's not choosing to feel wanted or feel acceptance. She's losing control of her life. I want you to get this picture. Whenever you're tempted to sin and you're sitting there thinking about giving into it, it's like you're sitting there with shackles and you're thinking about whether or not to close the loop. That's what sin is. Am I going to close this around my ankles? Am I going to close this around my wrists? Jesus is pulling back the veil and saying, this is what's happening when you're sinning. It's a big deal. Of course, you're forgiven. God loves you. Don't be stupid. Whenever we sin, we're putting out the welcome mat for deception. Listen, guys, when you believe a lie, you empower the liar in your life. It's the truth that sets you free, and there's lots of Christians who aren't free. Why? Because they're believing lies. Listen to Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you, listen to this phrase, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Man, sin makes you believe lies. Sin hardens your heart so that you're wide open to deception. So I am not recommending that you watch this TV show. I watched it a long time ago. It was a, it was a, it was a terrible show. It was called Scare Tactics. And they, would, they just went way too far on these pranks, way too far. And so there's this one that particularly stands out to me. And so um, the, the poor lady that they're pulling a prank on, the mom was the one who's pulling the prank on this. Worst mother ever when you hear this prank. And so this girl thinks that she's come to work at this medical clinic. So she's the receptionist at this medical clinic. And so this lady comes in, and uh, she looks like she's greatly pregnant, and they come back there, and so, um, she, you know, she thinks that she's giving birth back there, and so there's these screams, these horrible moans, the lights are kind of dimming, and then uh, through the front door comes, this. Um, they call, and they say, listen, uh, you know, just, if, you're a, if you're a believing person, pray. And the girl's like, what is happening? And all of a sudden, this guy comes dressed like an exorcist, got like the Catholic priest outfit, he comes on, my wife's already cringing at this story, he comes, he come, he comes through the door, and um, and uh, they said, "Listen, we're going to need your help." And uh, to the to the girl at the front desk. And so she walks back with the uh, with the exorcist guy. And there's this person in stirrups, and you know there's consternation. And so she's behind the person in stirrups, so she can't see the legs. And um, this person, you know, she's pushing and gives birth. And um, they have this midget. Um, who is uh, bald, and he has horns in his head, and he's, this is a terrible story, this is a terrible story, and he's covered in blood, and it looks like she, and he's got like an umbilical cord attached to him, and it looks like she's just given birth to the Antichrist, and so this, this, this is a terrible story, I, maybe I shouldn't have told this one here, so yeah, so this lady's in the struts, and it looks like the Antichrist has just come out of her, and so like the priest is like, like, tell stop, you know, and so this little uh, midget, demon antichrist comes up to this poor girl whose mother is playing this prank on her the mother worst mother ever and so uh, she comes up and this little demon is saying serve me and she's going i'm not going to serve you you're you're the devil and he's going serve me and she's like i'm not going to serve you and all of a sudden the mom comes out ha hey, ha! this has all been a joke it's like worst mother ever okay guys sin is not like that where it's so obvious that like the enemy is going to come out and the devil appeared before and he's like serve me you'd be like no, get away from me. Like, like, I won't believe that. This is a terrible illustration. I'm, I'm, I'm rethinking this whole... I don't even know how this made it to my notes here. I have no idea how this got on here. Sin is not like that. Sin is much more deceptive. Sin feels like this is, this is kind of a good idea. This is no big deal. And Jesus is pulling back the veil. Listen to Proverbs 23. Let's get back to Scripture here for a moment. Don't you dare go look up that episode on YouTube. You already are on there, aren't you? Yeah. Looking at the captions. Proverbs 23, verses 31 and 32. Do not gaze at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. What's Proverbs saying? God shows us the traps in advance. Satan only shows us the bait. Okay? We've got to get this biblical view. When it's sparkling in there, it looks so good. He's like, picture your bloody nose. I think that's the next verse. Picture your bloody nose. Picture the headache you're going to have the next morning. I remember we had this um, girl in our young, when we were uh, young adult pastors um, back in the 1920s. So Mary and I were younger. <laughs> and so um, we had this girl in the youth group, just an absolutely wonderful girl. She grew up in, a, in, a, in, a, in the church, and, um, and she was very pretty. And so she started getting invited to parties. And at one of the parties, uh, some guy uh, offered her marijuana. And so she began smoking marijuana. She enjoyed the attention she was getting from guys. And then at one of the parties, someone offered her heroin. And after she did it the first time, she was hooked, absolutely hooked. I mean, here, and this is a, I mean, a, a pretty girl in the suburbs growing up in, in, uh, in church. And here now she's addicted to heroin. And so um, it gets so bad that she begins selling her body for heroin. So she becomes a prostitute to pay for the heroin habit and uh, hiding this from her family. Her family has no idea this is happening. And um, she was really struggling. Listen, guys, she did not want to do this. Okay, this is what slavery is like. I want to stop, but I can't. Okay, so she couldn't do it. And so um, she was in our young adults group, and she would just go missing for weeks. And then we would see her all of a sudden. We would get these notes in our door: "Please don't give up on me. Please keep praying for me." And like uh, she wanted to stop. I remember one phone call we got. I don't. Know, it seemed like it was the middle of the night. It was really late. And uh, Mary and I were on the phone with her, and she's like, "I'm in a hotel room. Please pray for me. Uh, does God still love me?" And then there was a knock at the door, and she said, "I have to go." We knew that she was getting ready to sell her body again. And so. Um, you know, she, uh, she would get free for a little while, and then she would go back into it. Eventually, she overdoses. I do her funeral. And, um, guys, th- this, is, this is where sin wants to take you. It, it seems innocent, a little flirting, getting some attention. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to prophesy over anything in one's life. I'm just saying the enemy has a plan for your life. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not this innocent joint. It's not like, hey, let's just try this, hit this one time. It wants to take you down a path way farther than you ever wanted to go. When we sin, we need to see it, as Ephesians 4 says, it's giving a foothold to the devil. I'm giving an inroad of the enemy into my life. Well, Jim, what if I keep on sinning? Can I lose my salvation? Oh, boy. Hey, it's a question that lets us look at here. There's two extremes. One extreme says once you're saved, you're always saved. doesn't matter how you live. If you prayed the prayer, you're getting into heaven. Okay, that's one extreme. There's another one that says, uh, is, it, I, I call that, you know, people call that eternal security. Like, you, when, you know, it's an extreme version of that. I know not all, all versions say that. It's basically, like, once you're saved, you're always saved. You can never lose it, no matter how, you, how many times you sin, whether there's never been a change in your life. You prayed the prayer and you meant it, you're good. The other extreme is kind of save, loss, save, loss. Every time you sin, you've lost your salvation. Now you've got to rededicate your life. We call that eternal insecurity. Okay, how many grew up with eternal security? How many of you grew up with eternal insecurity? Yeah, there we go. They're both extremes. Here's what I believe. Uh, we're going to call this gymology. Okay, this is my best voice from Scripture here. If you don't agree with how I got there, you will agree with the conclusion. Okay, we good with that? All right. I, uh, I don't believe you can sin away your salvation. Otherwise, what sin is it that did it, does it? The Bible says that he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, that's sin. So which sin is it that does it? Is it million? Is it one? Like, which, which sin is it that does it, okay? James says, uh, so, but here's what sin does. It says it hardens your heart, okay? Um, 1 Timothy 4, 2 says you can actually sear your conscience. He was talking to believers about this. It deceives you, and it takes you down a path where you don't want to go. I don't believe you can sin away your salvation. I do believe that sin can take you down a path, and you can willingly choose to say, I don't want to be part of this anymore. I don't think it's an easy path to get there. Let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened. If you've been enlightened, you've been enlightened. Right? There's darkness and there's light. Who have tasted the heavenly gift. Boy, look at these phrases. Who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. If they fall away to be brought back to repentance... Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. This is talking about a person who falls away. That means they had to have something to fall away from. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if, you're, if you're lost, you're lost. You had to fall away from something. Okay? You can't lose something you didn't have to begin with. People argue that those who fall away were never truly saved. I believe this verse speaks against this. I'm not looking to get in a debate with anybody. But look at these phrases. They've been enlightened. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. If you look at these, it speaks of a mature Christian. This isn't someone who like, prayed and never really had roots and now they can't. This, this is a, speaks of a mature Christian. I don't, I don't believe uh, very many people ever make it to this level. But I'll imagine there's a six year old who gets mad at his parents and says, I don't want to be part of this family anymore. That kid doesn't have enough information to really understand what they're talking about at that point, right? When they're 25, they do. They, they can choose to walk away from their family and never be part of it again. Okay, good news. God, you know, God's a loving, uh, loving parent. Well, Jim, I don't agree with you. You can't lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved, no matter how much you sin. Listen, you don't have to agree with me on whether or not a person can lose their salvation. Okay? That, that, uh, there's a, a branch of theology called Calvinism. They would say that person was never truly saved. There's another branch of theology that would be called Arminianism. It would say that that person was saved, but they lost their salvation. Okay? We can disagree on that. Here's the deal. Here's where you both agree. If you die in your sins, unrepentant and hostile to God, you're hellbound. It doesn't matter how you got there. <laughs> if you were saved and lost it, or you were never truly saved. If you're in this state, you have no assurance of heaven. Search the scriptures from beginning to end. You ready for this? You will not find a single verse that gives godless rebels any kind of assurance of salvation or blessing at all. Not one. Rather, Paul states it plainly, for if you live, uh, Romans eight thirteen, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Even five-point Calvinists would agree with this point. Okay, There is no assurance of divine favor for those who willfully forsake God and continually walk against him. I would strongly urge you, do not listen to anyone who tells you you can live in your sin freely and fragrantly and enjoy heaven too. There's not one verse in Scripture that, uh, that affirms this. Listen to the following verses. These three verses actually warn against that kind of teaching. Are we okay here? Yeah. Listen, I'm not enjoying this. I just got to tell the truth, all right? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. I us say the wicked will not... Do not be deceived. Okay? So... There is no assurance. Uh, like I'm, I'm trying to really combat the teaching that says you can live however you want. These scriptures say differently. Galatians 5:19 through 21, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Isn't it interesting that like idolatry and witchcraft are put next to jealousy? That's interesting. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sobering. Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 7. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because those are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such thing, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, therefore do not be partners with them. You cannot live in sin, do anything you want, and retain salvation. Whether you were never truly saved, or you saved or lost, is the same conclusion. Are we okay? It's not that you have to maintain some level of holiness to be saved. Okay, we live holy because it's our new nature to be holy. We live holy because it pleases God. We live holy because we don't want to become a slave to the enemy and let him give him a foothold in our life again. So it's not works to live holy, it's wisdom. Yeah. And it's our new nature. When God said, be holy as I am holy, he wasn't like uh, giving you command, he's giving you an impartation. You can now be holy as I'm holy. Go and represent me to the planet. In closing, some of you are like, thank God. No matter where you're at, it's just, it's it's a good it's a good reminder that you know what I don't want to mess with that stuff. Like God's got a better way. And if you're struggling here, I've got some super good news for you coming up. Okay, there, there's no shame, condemnation. We're not gonna do an altar call, and I, there's no embarrassing anybody here. Okay, but um, uh, I wrote this last illustration. All right, sin is like opening the door of your bedroom to a cobra and shutting the door and going to sleep. I don't know about you guys, like. Uh, I'm not really into snakes. I'm not even, like, into worms. I remember, um, I don't, I don't even like worms. They're just, they're, they're gross. They're evil. And so, um, I remember, uh, our neighbor had a, um, uh, a copperhead. It had a copperhead in there, and the husband was gone, and she comes over to get me. And I was trying to, like, look at Mary, like, you go take care of the copperhead, you know? But she wasn't taking the hint. And so, uh, I took this spaded shovel, and I went, and, um, I slayed that serpent. I did. It was a baby copperhead about the size of a pencil, <laughs> but it was a serpent nonetheless. And so, um, so my dad, uh, when he worked in Kentucky, he had this, this um, secretary who was quite a woman. And so her husband was gone, and the dog is in this upstairs bedroom just barking up a storm. And so uh, she kind of goes in there to see, and she opens up the closet, and there's a rattlesnake in their closet. Okay, that happens to the bakers. Here's what the bakers are doing. Honey, we're moving. We're burning the house. We're scraping together the ashes, and we're burning the ashes. That's what we do if there's a, not this lady. This lady's got a whole different approach. And so she had never shot a shotgun before, but she gets this idea that she is gonna shoot this uh, rattlesnake. And so she, listen to this, listen to this. So she um, gets her husband's shotgun, gets out the shells, and she uh, goes and sets up some cans in the backyard and is going to practice because she's never shot a shotgun before. So she's shooting it. She's realizing she's kind of unstable. So she gets a couple of books, and now she's down on her knee, kind of stabilizing it. Now she's able to shoot the can. So now she's got some confidence. So she goes back into the house. Snake's not there. Snake's not in the, not in the, uh, in the closet anymore. So she uh, kind of goes out on the hunt, and hears the dog barking. Ah, she finds, the, uh, she finds it again. So she sets up the books. As she's setting up the books, the snake begins lunging at her with, uh, you, know, tsh, you know, the thing. That was pretty good. And so... Um, so she's like, hold on, I need to kind of defend myself while I'm in the, you know, i got to have some defense in the middle of this offense. So she goes and gets a frying pan, okay? So she's got the shotgun, she's got the frying pan, and as she's trying to set up the things, lunging at her, ba-ting! she's blocking it with the frying pan. I mean, this lady is unbelievable. My dad never messed with his secretary. Ba-ting! she's trying to set it up, ting she's doing it. So finally the snake kind of slows down, and she uh, does a shot. Blast in the back wall, miss it. Second shot, blast in the floor, miss it. Third one, hits the snake, the snake is dead. (laughs) Sin is like opening the door of your bedroom to a rattlesnake. Guys, you got to deal with that thing. you got to deal ruthlessly with that snake if it's in your house. You're not going to sleep, you're not going to bed on this thing. We started off with verses where Jesus talked about sin. He said it's better to pluck out your eye chop off your hand, or be drowned than to cause someone to sin or to be in sin. Uh, Here's the point. Deal ruthlessly with sin. we got to perform radical surgery on anything that would defile us. Some of you got snakes in your spiritual bedroom. You need to shoot them today. Don't go to bed another night. You need to draw for grace from the Lord to help you with this. Um, Some of you here today and you're saying, Jim, I've been in sin. It's getting out of control. i got super good news for you. Jesus came looking just for you. He came looking for people who were a hot mess full of sin. Not to point his finger, but to draw, draw them out, to shoot the snakes, to break off the shackles. This is huge. Jesus actually loves to love us. One of, one of the phrases he used to describe God, he delights in showing mercy. He's not like, oh man, my son paid for this, i got to show him mercy. He, mercy was his idea. Forgiveness was God's idea. Well, Jim, what if I keep blowing it? God would rather hear your voice in sincere repentance, even if that repentance needs to go deeper, than to not hear your voice at all. God's not looking for a reason to get rid of you. You are his beloved. Some of you are like, well, Jim, man, if, I, if, uh, you know, if sin's such a big deal, I should feel condemned all the time. No, you shouldn't. Listen to the last two weeks' messages on going and Sin No More. And guess what? I'm doing a bonus. Two more messages on going and Sin No More over the next two weeks because we have to get this point. All right? Here's the problem is a lot of people, they hear the word of God's grace and his forgiveness, but they don't mix it with faith. It's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good, but uh, I just don't feel it. And Some of you have unconfessed sin, sin that you're participating in, and God's convicting you right now. You're like, man, I know exactly what he's talking about. I, I've been gossiping, and whatever it might be. And I just encourage, encourage you, we're going to take a moment here, just humble yourself and confess your sin. Confess means I'm going to say the same thing God says about it. God, this is, boy, this is more deadly than I thought. But I thank you that you paid for it, and it's not just a forgiveness wipe your slates out. God, I want you to give me a grace to never walk in this again. Okay, He actually wants to give you that kind of strength, and so, um, so let's pray. And so, um, there's there's different kinds of sins. I'm not going to name every category, but some of you know there's there it's a known sin. You're like, man, i I've just it's coming up right in my mind. And we're going to take a moment. I'm going to ask you just, Lord, I I didn't realize how much this was poisoning, or maybe you did. God, I want free from this. He came to set the captives free. Maybe some of you have addictions. I've got good news for you. God has made you new if you're a believer today. And he can break those addictions. We've seen it happen dozens and dozens of times here. Some of you might be like little foxes. Like, oh, I'm just exaggerating a little bit. Or, you know, I see the girl jogging down the road and I kind of turn my head and think about it a little bit. Or, man, those little foxes spoil the vine. Like, don't, don't give the devil a foothold or a toehold. And so, um, so let's just pray. And so, Jesus, we just thank you for the cross. That, God, we don't have to live under shame or condemnation or uh, any kind of bondage. That, Lord, we, uh, some of us, we didn't realize how, how serious sin was. But, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes. And so I'm just going to give you guys 30 seconds right now between you and God. Just talk to them. God, I'm sorry. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm asking for your forgiveness, and I'm asking for your grace to, to walk in a different way. You may not walk perfectly, um, but uh, you'll, you'll walk it out. And so I'm going to give you 30 seconds for that. Lord, we just speak that word freedom. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame. Freedom from past mistakes. God, that you're not rubbing our face in it. Lord, we are brand new. I pray for a revelation of forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. And uh, with with everyone uh, with their eyes open, I just want to give a chance here. You're hearing this and uh, maybe you are not in the family yet. You haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior. You're not following him. You're not saying, God, I, I, I want to do your will. I want, I want you in my life. I want as much of you in my life as possible. So if you're here this morning, maybe you're online and you're going to respond, but you do not know Jesus, And uh, but you're today, maybe someone drug you here, maybe it's been a process, but you're like, man, I, I want to do that. I want to follow Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want to live my life for him. Uh, salvation, in two words, is trust Jesus. You're not just believing facts about what he did 2,000 years ago, that he uh, died for your sins and rose from the dead, but um, you, you're... You're putting your confidence that, God, you can live, I can live a new life in your strength. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to be brave. Jesus said if you confess him before men, he'll confess you before the Father. So not trying to embarrass anybody, but this is your chance to say, you know what, I'm doing it. Today's my day. So is there anybody in here? Just raise your hand. Like, I want to get, I want to trust Jesus today. Is there anybody in here? Thank you. Appreciate that. Anybody else? All right. Awesome. Well, uh, let's just uh, let's just agree with this man, and uh, I just encourage you to come up to our, our prayer team too afterwards. I'll pray with you, but um, let's just pray a prayer something like this for for salvation. Jesus, let's have everybody pray it so no one feels embarrassed. Jesus, Jesus I trust you. I trust you. Thank, you for Thank you for your forgiveness. I want as much of you in my life as possible. In my relationships, my finances, my family. my workplace workplace. thank you jesus amen (laughs) that's it